Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. I'll be reading from the NIV version. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Jamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I'm literally glad to be here. Um, on, on, well, thank you. Um, on more than one count, I'm glad to be here to worship the Lord because I need to learn to grow in my worship of the Lord like all of us do and fellowship and receive encouragement. But I'm also grateful to be here um, because Psalm 91 uh, was very active in my life this week. He shall send his angels um, to watch you. Um, Isaiah, my grandson, and I were uh, climbing up in the uh, Clear Creek area. And um, we were climbing a, a hill that, in retrospect, we should not have been doing. Um, and uh, the earth 
moved under my feet, as it were. And uh, I came tumbling down about 25 feet and uh, snapped to and um, was alive and reasonably well. Was hauled off to, um, to the nearest hospital and uh, they checked. Nothing was broken other than uh, I'm being introduced to all parts of the animati my anatomy that I didn't know existed. And uh, they're letting me know in no uncertain terms that they're around. Um, but you know, especially in a week like this, when our colleague in ministry, uh, Jan Moskowitz, also fell and died, um, you pause. You, you, you pause and wonder it is definitely very sobering, um, and part of the process for me over a number of years in having cancer and having back injury and having accidents and so on and so forth was seeking some basic answers from the Lord, not as in, Lord, why, why did you do this? the uh, kvetch routine, but rather saying, Lord, you are at work to will and to do your good pleasure in all situations. So that's reality. That's a given for me. So therefore, what do you have for me to learn in this particular situation? And the message, and this is kind of a personal statement, and we'll come to scripture in a minute here, the basic lesson, the basic take home lesson for me has been simply the fact that God has my life in his hands. And that as long as he wants me to live, I'll live. And so because of that, um, I don't freak out too much. Seriously, I, I God has really dealt with me in this and I give him the glory and uh, you know of course part of it you know sometimes folks say well this could have been a wake up call and yeah possible but over the years I've come away with a deep conviction that it is not Abba's heart to take the two by four route with us do you know what I'm saying he loves me, therefore he's going to communicate with me because I'm too stupid to get it. Therefore, he's going to use a two-by-four to get my attention. I don't believe that, folks. The more I read and, and go deep in the Word of God, the more I'm convinced that the two-by-four is designed for those who are rebellious. Those who are committed to bent for... Let me not try to mangle American idioms here. Those who are um, committed to doing their way and are not terribly interested in stepping back and listening to the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you have in mind for me? Uh, God will use a two-by-four because he loves us when we are in that position of stupidity. However, if our heart's desire is truly to listen to the Lord and truly to follow Him and truly to obey Him, 
the Word of God tells us that the Lord is interested in speaking to us like a father to his children. There are several examples, but one in particular jumps out, jumps out at me, the sovereign Lord. The Lord God has given me an instructed tongue. He awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Lord God has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. And I think part of our confidence in our love relationship with the Lord is to simply say, if the shoe doesn't fit, I will not wear it. I'm sorry. Um, Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. That's where I want to be. And I have no doubt that the master of the universe who created the 14ers and, and who wired me, I have no doubt that the master of the universe is well capable of somehow working through, working through my neural anatomy and psychology and spirituality, etc., etc., to communicate to me. And I depend on it. In fact, my life depends on it. And so because of that, whatever took place this week, I'm, I'm convinced and confident that the Lord will give me the personal life lessons He has for me to learn. But that I don't see it as a punishment. I don't see it as Him saying to me, my son, you're such a stupid bozo. What's the matter with you? Wake up and smell the coffee. You know, the more you live, the more you get to know the Lord, the more you learn to bask in the Father's love for you. That's our reality. That's our identity. And in this situation... That Sharon read to us, you look at a bunch of people who just don't seem to get it. The nation of Israel, at this point, has, ha has had a couple of waves of exile. Uh, one in 695 BC, where you have the young king Jehoiachin and the nobility and Daniel being shipped off to Babylon. And then several years later in 593, you have additional people being hauled off to exile, including, by the way, Ezekiel. The biggie is yet to come, several years in 586. But, but the people know that the superpower of the day, Babylon, is about to get them. They know that a bunch of their people are in exile already. And yet, they continue in idol worship. They continue to have alternate spirituality. What I mean by that is occult. They have sorcerers, diviners, who come and tell them what they want to hear. They have all these false prophets who basically want to tickle their fancy and tell them, 
smooth messages, feel-good messages, excuse me, which, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You listen to a lot of folks, bless you for that ministry, You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with feel-good messages. God gives us feel-good messages. However, that cannot be the sum total of the truth. God has a word for us in each and every situation. And He wants us to understand how to function in all kinds of situations. Why? Because He is sovereign. Jeremiah, at this point... Is still in Israel, but he sends this message um, to the exiles in Babylon, giving them instructions. What do you do now that you are in the land of your enemies? What do you do? Is God no longer in control of the situation? Are you basically out on your own? Does God expect you to figure things out and do the best you can? And this is something that has bothered me. Let, let me go off on, on a tangent for a moment. This is something that has bothered me for years that there is a, a lack of solid <clears throat> biblical teaching on what do you do during times of suffering. And the truth is, all of us go through suffering. How do we handle it? How do we relate to the Lord? How do we relate to other people? Is there a value, a redemptive value in our suffering? Or is it a total waste of, of life? And, and do, do we try then to foolishly, in our head, to play these mind games where we rewind the tapes and try to go back and edit the tapes as if something didn't happen? Been there, done that. At some point, I realized it was unbelievably stupid. The Word of God simply tells us that when we blow it, <clears throat> we stop. We stop and we invite God to take control. And we say, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. And I'm not going to try and fix it. I trust you that you are well capable <clears throat> of restoring and fixing the problems the messes that I made. You know, and, and this is a very basic childlike faith. It's, it's somewhat like us when we've had an owie as children. We would recognize that we would need to be bandaged up. And, and the Lord wants to do that. 
in Babylon, in the land of their enemies, God has clear Torah, clear instruction for them. Why? Because in Babylon, God is fully in control of the situation. You read the book of Daniel, and it, it is mind-boggling what God does with Nebuchadnezzar, this guy who is utterly and absolutely pagan. The enemies of Israel. And so the message that God gives the exiles is build houses. I have a plan in the land of your enemies. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, etc., etc. That is based on the expectation that in the land of their enemies, God has the power to bring about the needed prosperity and change for them. Now last Shabbat, we saw the other part of it. it God's relationship with us is based both, with, both on love, chesed, and on power. Last Shabbat, as we looked at the book of Hosea, we see God's relentless, compassionate love for the nation of Israel, uh, in a sense, a love that makes absolutely no sense. We, in the place of God, would, would look at the nation of Israel and say, I'm done with you. I wash my hands of you. Forget you. You've given me fits for 400 years. Enough is enough. And yet, in the prophets, in Hosea, in, in Ezekiel, you, you, you see in the language, especially in Hebrew, and talk to Dr. Delaire, she'll tell you about the nuances, the flavor, how God pleads with the people. He pleads with the, with the people to come back, to repent. <clears throat> and he says, why suffer? Because I have good plans for you. So there's the love of God, there's the power of God at work in the nation of Israel. And then he, asks, then he instructs them with a very peculiar instruction. Seek the peace of prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into, into exile. Pray the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now say what? You know, if God forbid one of our enemies t took over and hauled us into exile, would we be inclined to pray for them? By the way, th th this reflects the heart of God, which of course we see with Yeshua's instruction elsewhere, love your enemies. But part of, part of the message, the overall message here is because I am a faithful God, because I'm in a covenant relationship with you, even in the land of the enemies, I will see to it that you're cared for. And that part of the process is for you not just to be self-consumed and say, God, you know, I have needs and what about me and etc., etc., but to look outward beyond and, and say, God, you have plans not just for me, but you have plans for those around me. And folks, this has been my conviction 
<clears throat> as we approach the Moadim, the holidays, that so often when we look at the Word of God, we are obsessed about snipping out those special devotional uh, statements that grab us and fill us and encourage us and, and get us going for a particular day. And that is part of the picture. But the Lord wants us to go beyond that and see His larger plans and purposes. So we understand them and we understand how He wants us to be part of those plans. You know, I've been a believer, well, I'll tell you, longer than 40 years. And much of that time, the way I've approached Scripture is sort of coming with a magnifying glass and looking for those neat promises that I can grab for myself and run with. You know, the Bible answer books, which are good and they serve their purpose as long as you don't stay there. As long as you don't stay there, as long as you take those promises and you go beyond and you read further in the context and see what God has to say, not just in those little snippets, but further beyond the rest of what the, the Word of God is saying. And you get a fuller picture. And you see what God is doing, not just with yourself, but with others. The word shalom here, by the way, appears four times. Three times. Um, and it's translated in one, one case, if prosperity, the other twice prosperity. Well, all three cases actually translate the prosperity, but it is shalom. Remember that shalom means not only peace, but completion. The, the basic root of the word shalom is completion and fullness, wholeness. And what God is saying to the people of Israel is because I'm sovereign, because I'm like we were singing today, Ram al-Kol Goyim, high above the nations is our God. Because He is above the heavens, not only here, but also in Babylon, then wherever we are, we can expect Him to walk with us and to fulfill His plans and purposes for us. We see that throughout Scripture. Because the Lord is not just eager to take care of us, He's eager to take care of those beyond us who don't as yet know Him. And, and I, it is my hope and expectation that God will cure us of the myopia as we look into the Word of God so that we're able to look beyond of God, take care of me, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. But beyond that, look and see what God has to say more broadly. So, because that helps us to understand that He's in control, period. Not just in our little corner, but He's in control, period. You see that all of the Word of God. 
part of what happens for us is that we get into um, we we get our wagons together. We pull our wagons together and, and circle our wagons together, sort of in defensive posture. You know, because we live in a in a society that is increasingly becoming either non-godly or anti-god. And yes, this country has uh, fortunately a large number of people who follow Yeshua and the word of God is proclaimed but the society as a whole the, the, the current the current that is moving is moving in a direction away from the Lord and we see some of that in this election process with unbelievable mudslinging and ugliness on everybody's part and that doesn't strike me as, as the, the way of righteousness to trash your opponent and by the way let, let me just throw a word out of encouragement to you that when, when you hear things that are demeaning about somebody don't participate in, in, in forwarding those those messages the word of God says to us whatever things are pure and true and and good those are the things that you need to participate in and 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 send you know uh, this day and age you get emails forwarded to you at a pretty rapid clip and sometimes they they make your blood boil because of the things that are being said and, and so on and you can either choose to be part of that or step back and say you know I'm going to let it be I'm going to let it be because God is greater than that and I will not participate in muck raking regardless of, of what we see. I was uh, part of the process, folks, is that as we see this godlessness, God should move us and give us a heart of compassion for those folks who are clueless spiritually. And I was listening to a radio station, um, my, f my favorite liberal station, <laughs> and uh, there was an interview in, in process, and uh, the gal who was being interviewed extolled the wonders of this song from 1969 if you have a few gray hairs you will remember Bye Bye Miss American Pie by Don McLean and this gal was just absolutely mesmerized by this song all eight minutes of it and she <laughs> and she memorized the words why? because they uh, they were part of 
her father's records, and she sings them to to her infant to calm him, and and uh, this is such a statement about the reality of life. Um, and then, what really grabbed me is she said that the last line are such a wonderful statement of reality. And I listen to that and I think, oh Lord. <laughs> the three men I admired the most, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, took the last train to the coast the day the music died. If you're familiar with the story, this is of course a um, rendition of what happened in the late 50s uh, when several rock stars perished um, in a plane crash. And yes, it was sad, however, that doesn't define life, does it? And what is, was especially poignant for me, folks, is this gal's name was Mel Fishbein Ostrovsky, and a, and a very typically Jewish name. And it was especially heart-rending for me because I thought, you know, we are called by God to be the people who bring light to the nations. And it, it is my hope and expectation as we go through this series that God will give us a sense of compassion for the lost, especially the, uh, the compassion for the lost in Israel, so that we tune into His frequency and His program and recognize the fact that yes, there's judgment for the sin but he is engaged in wanting to bring about restoration. The Lord's message is, yes, you are in the land of your enemies, and yes, it is a very difficult situation. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm engaged, I'm, I'm active. And by the way, God used the Babylonian exile to purge Israel of idol worship. Once Israel came back and settled over a period of time, idolatry was something that was a non-issue. The exile did its work that was part of a portion of the work of God in, in restoring the nation. And he wants, God wants the people to recognize the fact that he has answers in the middle of the land of their enemies, Babylon. And that they should ignore the false messages. They feel good people who try to make things sound smooth and wonderful. Not because God has awful things, but because God has good things, but in his way. Amen. Restoration, his time, in his way, his moed, his, his season. And that's exactly what, what these chapters in Jeremiah, I'd like to encourage you to read it if you haven't. These chapters of restoration are, are absolutely wonderful, showing the heart of God and the power of God to fulfill His plans for Israel. 
Verse 10 of chapter 29, this is what the Lord God said, when the seven years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to the land. When the 70 years are full, in other words, the season The appointed time it has been completed. When my calendar states that the time has come for restoration, it will happen. Boom. I will act decisively. And by the way, it's quite likely that seven years is probably from the first exile, um, the, the, the first wave of exile. But what the Lord is saying when the time comes, I will see to it that my good plans for you are fulfilled. Again, the message is I'm in control. I have a good plan. This plan will come about in my time when I'm ready. I will kick into action. By the way, you may remember that part of the process here had to be involved with intercession before the proclamation by Cyrus was issued in, in 539 for the people to be brought back remember that Daniel spent time fasting and praying seeking God why? it's part of the mystery that somehow God moves his hand in answer to our prayer and, and that it seems you can, you can say as well that God will not do certain things unless you and I pray. Do you recognize the power of prayer? Daniel read scripture. He read Jeremiah's prophecy and he saw, this is Daniel 9, he saw that the seven years were coming to a close and he, he, and he came and he sought the Lord and said, Lord, time is coming for restoration. Verse 11, which has one of the most famous faith builders. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. What an incredible faith builder for us. Someone like Paul in Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him, to those who have been called according to his purpose. God has a plan. He is working it in our life and more broadly. It anchors us, folks. Do you realize that? That without a clear grasp of the sovereign power, the sovereign plan of God in your life, you would be all over the map. That when difficult times come, you will be swinging from place to place, trying to fix things, trying to figure things out, instead of recognizing the fact that God has 
things well in hand and that he's working and that he loves you and that he has good plans for you. That grounds us, folks. It grounds us. It keeps us grounded. So instead of becoming hopeless, we have hope. By the way, there was a a psychiatrist and a survivor of Auschwitz, Bruno Bettelheim, who studied the effect of hope on survivors. And what he found was that the people who tended to survive were the people that had hope of survival. And so for us, as we learn to be grounded in our hope and expectation in the Lord, we have hope that God is at work, that God will do His good plans for us. And again here, the word shalom is mentioned. Plans to prosper you. Literally, thoughts of shalom to Complete my good plans for you to give you a hope in the future. Now part of the process for us learning to go deeper in the word of God is being able to step back and say, yes, there is application to me, but this first of all applies to Israel. Because in verse 14 it says, the Lord says, I will bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations. And the places where I banished you, declared the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I have carried you into exile. And if you get frustrated or impatient with this emphasis about Israel, remember that if God's plan for Israel were taken off screen, guess what would happen to God's plan for you? If his plans for Israel are not worth the paper they're written on, what hope and expectation can we have of, of quoting Jeremiah 29, 11 for, for our own life and our own situation? Yes, it's applicable to us, but we have to remember that God is, is so big and so powerful and so faithful not only to us as individuals but to fulfill his plans and purposes for Israel and as we saw last Shabbat through Israel to impact the world as we tune into that then we have a greater sense of the power and majesty and sovereignty of God not just to help us out but to fulfill his larger plans. And as we become freed from obsession with me and God, take care of me, and I, I have needs and look out for me, and we're able to step back from that and see God's larger plans, we can get a clear sense of the power and the majesty of God and then we can rest and see that just like 
He's going to take care of the bigger picture. He certainly will take care of us. And no, it hasn't yet happened in Israel. Yes, God has been drawing Jewish people to Israel. Still, to a large extent, in unbelief. But part of the picture here is not just restoration to the land, but spiritual restoration as we see in Ezekiel 36. And remember, folks, we often tend to take the promises and isolate them from the context. And here, the promise of, I have good plans for you, plans for, uh, to prosper you, come together with a statement that says, then you will call upon me and you will come and pray for me to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Can we, in exp- can we come to God in expectation that he will bless us and fulfill his good plans for us if we detach what the word of God says, the rest of the word of God says, if we are not interested in coming and seeking God for those blessings. When you seek me with all your heart, the language here is very intense. You have a number of action verbs that suggest this. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Call on me. Not just one of these quickies. Lord, I'm tired. I'm about to nod off and, and I need to pray. Um, help me out tomorrow and uh, etc. No. Taking these seasons in our life where we seek God. In earnestly, In earnestness. Recognizing the fact that the master of the universe is eager and waiting to receive you. He's eager and waiting to receive you. It's a very simple statement. You'll seek me and I will be found. I will make myself available to you. <coughs> Do you need a, a, a special uh, manual that tells you this is how you seek God. You take steps A and B and subparagraphs uh, 1 and etc. How do you seek God? You seek God with all your heart. You seek God with all your heart. He will be found by you. Remember what we saw last Shabbat that repentance is first and foremost turning to God turning to God. It is not so much I'm sorry for my sin. My sins are ugly and I want to quit. Repentance is first and foremost turning to God. And again, part of the bigger picture that I just want to toss out is this is a season it's a moed appointed season for us as a congregation to seek the Lord because we believe that during those times 
the Lord makes himself available as we seek him with greater earnestness. We want the next month to be a special time of seeking the Lord for ourselves as, as a family. We want to draw closer to God. We want to repent where there are things in our life that are displeasing to God. We want to say, Lord, would you please come and purge and cleanse what is needed? By the way, repentance brings about cleansing and brings about healing and it brings about blessing. So we want to seek the Lord during this month not only for ourselves and our families and our congregation, but we want to pray for this community around us There are thousands of Jewish people all over Metro Denver who are seeking God during the next two weeks without a definite conviction, without a definite confidence of the fact that, that Abba Father is waiting for them. Without a definite conviction that atonement is available. Let us be like Daniel and intercede for the Jewish community. That this will be a time of release, a time of being brought out of captivity, a time for individual people to encounter the Lord, for divine appointments. For us to speak the word of God as, as God brings people to, across our path. By the way, if you are in, inclined to share Yeshua with Jewish people, guaranteed you will be open and receptive to do that with others. But let's look at, at the broader fullness of the word of God here. That the Lord, yes, the Lord has plans to prosper us particularly as we seek him, but the Lord has plans to prosper not only us, but to go much beyond us to fulfill his plans and purposes for Israel. Do you want to be part of that? Do you believe God wants you to play a role in that? Last Shabbat I mentioned the invitations it's one possible way that you can do to participate. You can send a card to a Jewish friend. And by the way, the traditional Jewish cards during this time of year, you may or may not know, they say, may your name be inscribed in God's book of life. What an awesome blessing that we want to give to people. To say to them, yes, we desire that, that your name will be written in God's book of life. Send him that card with, with your prayer. Tell him that. See what God will do. 
Step beyond yourselves and your concerns and your issues and see the Lord's larger plans. Hallelujah. Lord God, we bless you. for who you are God of compassion of chesed Lord you're a covenant keeping God we bless you and thank you for that Lord God we pray that during this season that you'll give us a fuller scope of your plans and purposes Lord not just for ourselves and our families and our congregation and our community, but, Lord, for the nation of Israel and, and beyond. Cause us, Lord God, to see you as the God who reigns above the heavens and be rooted and grounded and anchored in you, Lord. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.